Howdy, and welcome to the Three True Outcomes podcast presented by Baseball Prospectus. I'm your host, Ian Lefkowitz, and I am joined, as always, by Ben Murphy and Jared Weiss, who need no introduction, despite the fact that I've given them one for about 100 episodes in a row. But we are pleased, as punch, to have a special guest with us. Uh, uh, joining us this week, Tom Cunningham. Uh, Prospect Maven, is it fair to say? I don't know, but uh, a long-time listener, uh, first, first-time caller, so... Yeah. We have no callers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but we are uh, delighted to have you on. Um, we uh, we met you throughout a number of leagues, and probably most notably, I think, in the mock draft uh, that we uh, participated in each offseason. Um, so... I guess the first off-putting question I like to ask all of our guests are: uh, is who are you and why are you here? Well, so um, I, I I like playing score sheet. Um, I, th- I actually started in a league that um, that I think both Ben and Jared were in. Um, it was uh, it was a league I I, I think it, Keith Woolner has started or something, and I I got into it through um, I got it into it through people at work and the, it had a very weird keeper system where um where it was based off of years of service so i i just started that's how i started getting prospects is that it was ba- the keeper system was all based off of years of service so if you if you you know started a pipeline of prospects and you could keep more players and you could have you know Better or better young players than everyone else in the league. What was that um, league called, Tom? I think it was like O O O L. Out of our league or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I that remember that. I remember that if only because of like every experience I've ever had with Keith Wilner was memorable. But I think it's important to clarify that wasn't a score sheet league, right? That was like um, it was basically no, a it, points league it, that had like a complicated points formula. I think. Yeah, but it had like a and, complicated keeper structure, which sort of, like you were saying, laid the foundation for that. So. Yeah, and it was the only draft that's longer than Murphy. That you know, <laughs> it was like a twelve-hour draft. But uh, yeah, but uh, I started with that, and then then I started getting the score sheet. I think around the same time that you guys did, and mm-hmm. um, and I started drafting prospects, and I started drafting them earlier than everyone else in my leagues. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that's just how I've been building my teams. So, I I mean, I found it, it's easy if you get prospects, um, they don't, they don't cross over a lot. Um, you know, you get their prime years, um, you can keep the ones that you want. You can usually, they usually retain some trade value so you can trade off the ones that you don't want. Um, so I, I, I kind of find it's a great strategy to build from. Yeah, and just to unpack that a little bit, uh, I would say every year, uh, well, we get questions from listeners, and certainly uh, in the mock draft, we kind of get this question pretty consistently, like, um, how many prospects are too many? And are you drafting prospects too early? Uh, and I think you are the perfect person to answer this question. <laughs> well, so so I, I guess your tolerance, like, pe- people's tolerance is going to be different, but I, I've, in... In it, I, I've kept about ten prospects um, in in my standard score sheet leagues, where um, you, where you know they start at thirty five and they go down to thirty, you know, thirty four mm-hmm. each prospect. So, um, you know, I usually try to keep it around ten because, like, I can usually have four of them, you know, coming in to the, you know, coming in in that year, and then maybe three of them the next year, and then three being kind of, um, you know, lottery ticket type lower minors, minors guys, but that would be high upside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, and like, you know, I I guess we've seen each other's teams for now. And like my sense from the outside is that your teams win like 30 games a year, except when they're winning 110 games a year. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. The, the, well, so I started. Yeah, the, I started in a league that you guys are in, and um, 
it was it was like I didn't have the benefit of uh, of one of the drafts coming into the league. You know, one of the dis- dispersal drafts, um, and I got uh, I got the the team makeup was like absolutely the opposite of what I would have done. You know, it was uh, really good pitchers, but really old hitters. And, and, and like Adam Jones was like the best player, you know, best hitting player on the team. I think can't imagine what it's like to follow a team. Around. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. So it must be awful. Yeah. So I, I tore the whole thing down and, and I, I think probably in the second part of this year, it'll start to get, get a lot better, but, uh, but I don't have a bullpen, so it's not going to get a lot better till next year. But, uh, Yeah. Yeah, it it pretty much works out that way. I don't like being in the middle. I find that like eighty games, winning eighty games a year is kind of the wrong place to be. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and I, like I, I mean, you know, I think that's a, the standard question we get is like, should we go for it or should we bail? And I think what you're saying is like, if you're especially if you're in a league where you know it's not the dominant strategy like you kind right. of give yourself permission to rebuild yeah. if yeah. even if you have a good team yeah i i i you know some some leagues have uh you know i i think it's, you have to feel out the league too like you know the league that we're in has uh, like a higher tolerance for rebuilders than you know a lot of leagues might right but um yeah i don't i kind of kind of don't think uh yeah, I, I, I definitely think you, you should choose a lane. Either, you know, rebuild, you know, and 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 get out of that year or, you know, you're competing hard. Tom, you're talking about Dwayne Murphy, right? BL Dwayne Murphy? Oh, I, I was talking about NorCal, but, but oh, yeah. Okay. The, yeah, Nor yeah. See, I was gonna, sorry. I just wanted yeah. to clarify. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Because Murphy is um so different than NorCal and other standard leagues, but yeah. yeah. Cool. This is what happens when you're in like seven leagues. You don't remember <laughs> all of the leagues that you're in with everybody. Because if I yeah. had, I would have been like, are you talking about or, or, but okay. I just no, know Murphy's the one. The no, I just know that Murphy's the one where you own Jerks and Profar. <laughs> I mean, that's why that's the one. Now? That's yeah, the one that I remember. This. So, so uh, d- this was the word <laughs> we. We wanted to keep two middle infielders and a catcher, and um, my co-owner and I we decided, oh yeah, we're gonna go for we're gonna see you know we'll find a young you know a young middle infield and a young catcher, and we chose Danny Jansen, um, Urias, and uh, and Jerickson Profar, and oh it's this has been a bad decision, so that is a. Yeah, I, I mean, I liked all of those. Well, I liked two of those picks at the yeah. time, <laughs> and uh, that has come up snake eyes for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, y- you may have heard Ben on this very podcast once or twice uh, proclaiming his his favorite baseball opinion: um, Jerks and Profar is bad at baseball. Yeah, which is um, looking unfortunately a little likely at this point. What? Uh, what do you sorry. mean unfortunately? Let me have a win. <laughs> i mean unfortunate for his family and it, whatever what? okay yes but great for you i mean you, you, you deserve it my um, my record on predicting player performance is worse than jerks and profiles batting average uh, all right. <laughs> i'll see myself out um but tom so yeah, I mean, Jerkson Profar aside, and, I, you know, there is something to this, right, where I think you are, let's say, not necessarily claiming that um, the prospect strategy is the only one or that prospects never bust, right? Oh, yeah. No, there's there's totally, you know, there's a there's a ton of ways you could go. But um, I just, uh, you know, for me, this I, I, I see this as a, a good strategy that I can employ. So. Yeah. Um, like something that I think I have said in the past is, um, <laughs> to quote myself, uh, no, that I, I think when people talk about how risky prospects are, sometimes they fail to evaluate how risky baseball players are. Yeah. <laughs> and 
<laughs> so uh, that a lot of the concern about like having this prospect laden strategy, you know, you can also draft Jose Ramirez in the first round, and right. all of a sudden your mid career superstar is um, proferesque. Yeah. Um, so related to that, um, another phrase. Uh, you hear a lot about, especially amateur pro- or people who are interested in prospects but may not have a scouting background, is not to scout the stat line. Um, I do love the phrase "don't scout the stat line." Uh, how do you feel about not scouting the stat line? I, 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 I like to scout the, scout the stat line, but like, I think there's certain things that you should look at. Like, I think. You know, the three things that I, I like to look at are, you know, age, um, power. Um, well, I guess there's four things, age, power, um, walk rate and K rate. So, I mean, those are the, you know, whenever I look at a prospect, those are the, the four things, you know, that I'm, I'm pretty much looking at, you know, exclusively. Um, but I, I actually came up with a, I came up with a program that goes through and kind of ranks them for me. Um, there's, there's, there's a couple good ones out there. There's one on roster resource that does a pretty good job of, um, kind of ranking players, you know, on an age basis, but also, you know, from, you know, performance, they have like a power rankings thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I came up with, with, with something, you know, cause I, I couldn't find anything out there at the time. Um, so I, I just did one for myself and, and that's kind of what I, what I go off of. Um, I, one of the things that like in score sheet, we have these supplemental drafts right. and usually the first two or three you get before, you know, a mid season update for prospects is out. So you kind of have to go off of chats and, you know, the, you know, the stat line. Um, so, so like having, having something, you know, like going off the stats and like, you know, trying to figure out for yourself what, uh, you know, who's going to be in that, that update, you know, that I, I feel, I feel like that's helpful because right. then you can kind of, kind of beat the rush. So. Right. If you see that Tyler Freeman is breaking out in May, right. then all of a sudden, or Wander Franco, who you were on, I think from birth, as far as I <laughs> recall. I, th- I think you guys, you guys drafted Wander Javier. Yes. And, Whoops. And, and and I got really panicked because I knew I wanted Wander Franco. And when I saw Wander, I was I, I was I was really I, I got I got all freaked out until I saw the Javier. And then I said, I got to get get to get Franco in the next pick. So. <sighs> uh, well, you know, it's that 60 feet from stardom right there for us. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like. When I think of uh, you and some of our, like, fellow travelers in the prospect world, I feel like there are a certain, there's a certain breed of prospect that um, is maybe rated higher on prospect boards than than tend to be rated in our drafts and our rankings, and a certain type of player who is rated um, much higher in our drafts. Uh, Related to that, um, tell me about Alejandro Kirk. So, so, uh, um, I, I, so Alejandro Kirk, I, he's in, I, I think he's in, um, advanced a ball now Yeah, he and promoted, he's, I think. he's so, so I think he's like a, he might be like a 230 pound five foot eight catcher, but the guy never strikes out. He like, he, he, he hits for power. He has a great walk rate and he never strikes out. So it's kind of a guess on, you know, whether he stays as a catcher, but, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I feel like there's no good scouting report out, out there yet on him. Right. Um, I think fan graphs, they comped him to like Chris Farley or something, <laughs> but, uh, but like I, I went on his, in, I went to, I went to search his, for him on Instagram to see like what a picture of him looked like. And he does not look like Chris Farley, you know, he, 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 he looks like a baseball player now. So, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. He, I, he, he got moved up to Dunedin before I could watch him. And the Florida state league is like a black hole on MILB TV. 
but yeah. I cannot wait until he escapes. Um, but yeah, like I feel like 230 pound A ball catcher who never strikes out is like uh, catnip. And then there are players like, um, not to pick on anyone, but like I have like Bubba Thompson in mind as like, um, you know, these like tools goofy outfielders. Yeah, that don't have really performance behind it yet. Right. Yeah. Um, and I feel like those players tend to drop precipitously. Not that they never break out either, but um, my sense is that you feel like that is a profile that kind of gets overrated. Uh, would that be right? I, I Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about Bubba Thompson in particular, but like... Right. I'm 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 looking more at like the the youngest player at the level, you know, because right. that's usually the one that you know, you know, has the has the upside to become a star, um, and and that's usually also the player that's not getting get you know not getting recognized fully until until they hit you know double A AA or triple A, right? Like, um, you know, I feel like the patron saints of this were like Mookie Betts and before yeah. that Dustin Pedroia. Like, or, not or even pick. like yeah, Juan sure. Soto, or you know, yeah, or uh, or like Ronald Acuna. Like when he was he was in, I, I think he was nineteen in Triple A, and you know, everyone, a lot of people. Like, I feel like I feel like most of the people drafting knew that this guy was going to be like one of the you know like top ten in the next year, but none of the analysts would kind of bite on that, you know, until you know until the next the next winner so right and with uh wander franco for instance i think uh they're a little more eager to jump on the train but i, I feel like people right. do, are still sleeping on wander franco uh that he has the lowest k rate of any prospect in uh above a ball except for nick yeah. madrigal according to who is nick madrigal is like three you know standard deviations off but um no and franco is actually hitting for power Right, he's in five six, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I feel like that is like your ideal player in some level, right? Yeah, yeah. Someone with a good good walk rate, like no K rate, um, and can hit for power. I feel like that's and is the youngest player at the league. I feel like that's like a that's a really good case for someone who's going to be a star. So, all right. Well, we're gonna have to. Uh, hold on to our Kings League team for a very long time. A good note to us. Um, <laughs> so, um, related to that, uh, just to be a little more specific, I suppose, um, you know, are there players who you have been adding to your teams so far this year? Um, anyone who has been jumping out to you that you feel you've gotten on all your teams and therefore you don't need to burn them or you can burn them to the public? <laughs> well, Kirk is the guy that I've got. I've got on most of my teams now, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but I, I mean, I feel like Dylan Carlson on in the NL is the one that you know. That's the guy that's kind of jumping out, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I feel like almost in the last two to three weeks, he has started picking up some big prospect heat. Yeah, and and so like. Helio Ramos in NL too. Like he's, I think he's, you know, uh, and all these guys are pretty much young for a level, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and hitting, um, Brennan Davis. I, he's, he's really low, but, uh, I, I think he's probably out there in like, you know, almost all those score sheet leagues right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess he has been even under my radar cause he is a cub and therefore, Grr. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess you are often looking in, like, A-ball and even Rookie League. And, like... Yeah, yeah, well, because uh, I'm looking for the guys that are kind of like, you know, the, the, the outliers. Mm-hmm. And once they get to A-plus or, or double-A, you know, those guys are probably drafted already. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so one thing I noticed is that you haven't mentioned pitchers a ton. I, I, yeah, I hardly ever draft pitchers. It, well, pitching prospects, that is. I mm-hmm. mean, I, 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 the, I'm just kind of playing the percentages there. 
Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I feel like you can, the, the hitters, you know, you're going to get some value out of there, out of them, but pitchers, it's like, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. So, yeah. Um, that are, so, you know, obviously your team has pitchers on it. Right. Uh, as much as, uh, our own Ben Murphy might (laughs) hate the strategy of ever having a pitcher. <laughs> we can win games eighteen sixteen. <laughs> um, but I feel like you're mischaracterizing my strategy. It's not sorry. that I. It's yes. not that I don't want to have pitchers. It's just that I don't want to draft pitchers before I've drafted all the hitters. Yeah. I I I agree with that. Yeah. So I guess uh, right when you agree with that, is that um, where do you find your pitchers? Um. So I, I, for pitching, I kind of go for, um, I, you know, you're looking for a low, low walks, high K rate kind of guys, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe like 25, 26. I, you know, the 22, 23 year old pitchers, you know, they're not past that injury nexus yet. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you can find someone that's got like 300 innings already, then that's, that's a great, like, like Matt Boyd this year was a I kind of felt like he was a a good bet but uh Mm -hmm. but yeah I I feel like also if if you can get staff together that like is going to put up you don't have to have all aces to get into the playoffs if you can find put together a staff that's like between three five and like four two just for the starters you know you can kind of I don't know if it's the Lima plan of score sheet but like (laughs) If you have a really good offense, then you can you can get into the playoffs on on offense and you know short hooks. So, Tom, I appreciate that now as a result of you advocating this perspective, Ian will give my arguments a little bit more credibility. <laughs> <laughs> we always did. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, no, I mean our strategy is usually just draft all the catchers, uh, which. <laughs> I uh, we're I think we're coming off a draft where uh, Tom executed that to the letter. Um. It, it feels like there's a lot of good prospect catchers that are just you know popping up like Kirk and this uh, Sam Huff and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and Rushman. So yeah, so you, right, so you drafted Adley Rushman because you had the number one pick. Another, yeah. I mean, another thing that you know, is an ancillary benefit of this, uh, of your strategy is that you are very likely to get number one picks a lot when you are right. not competing. Yeah. Um, and having the number one pick when you're not competing is just vastly better than having the number three pick when you're not right. competing. I almost, I almost feel like having the supplemental one picks is better than having the, you know, the 14 one. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, at least this year it was. But, yeah, I agree. In our Kings League, where we tanked last year, um, we got Joey Bart and um, uh, Wander Franco in uh, July and August. And this year, we're going to get Adley Rushman. Sorry, Joey Bart. Uh, and, uh, you know, stay tuned for... Uh, I'm not ready to burn my August number one pick, but I have somebody in mind already. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think being able to get the drop on those kinds of players are really what the engine, like you said, that generates championships down the line. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess um, maybe maybe this is a good time to pivot to uh, the draft a little bit, because as we've been saying, you've been... Uh, we were talking about offline that you were watching the draft and you managed to make it one player deep into the draft this time <laughs> around. <laughs> um, which, so yeah, is this a one player draft? I guess would be an interesting place to start. I, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I think I, I, I kind of think, you know, this draft was like, it, I think there's, you know, for for score sheet supplementals, I think there's like maybe six or seven guys that that would should be drafted. Right. Um, but past that, I, I I don't know. Like I don't I don't see any. I didn't see any pitchers that I would draft on my teams um, coming out of the draft this year. But uh, 
but Adley, Adley yeah. and Vaughn and Witt and um, and maybe the center fielder, the um, Corbin Carroll was his name. Yeah, from the Diamondbacks. Yeah, and and then um, then the guy that Tigers took too, Riley Green. Um, yeah, yeah. I, those are those are the guys that you know I kind of thought might be interesting for score sheet teams. Right. So it's so it's interesting that you say that because. You know, I, I've seen it less and less in our leagues, but I still feel like you go to public leagues, especially public continuing leagues, and you see this, where uh, there are owners who will just take, like, the next name down the drafted players list in order. Right. And I feel like a lot of, especially, like, the back half of the first round gets severely overdrafted year after year. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, unless you, like, maybe someone's seen something. I, I, I don't watch anything. I don't watch any, any, uh, college baseball. Um, I watch some minor league baseball. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, but I, I, I feel like, you know, in the supplementals, if you can kind of, if you can kind of grab onto guys and, you know, a plus or a that are moving up and, you know, those are the guys maybe in the supplementals that you want to, you want to look at, you know, cause you're also getting a, you know, a closer ETA as well. Right. So sometimes it's like the perfect time to take a prospect. Right. Uh, <laughs> who is already in a system. I mean, not like a drafted player. And then right. just, um, you know, because with July, you've gotten half the date already. And uh, maybe some uh, boards are refreshing their first round. Uh, one thing that I found, um, you know, useful just as a like anchoring exercise. Uh, you know, Fangrass has updated its board this year, and it has done something that I've wanted to see for a very long time, which is kind of rank amateurs and uh, drafted prospects side or and uh, affiliated prospects side by side, so that you know you can say like, wait a second, this is a forty-five player, and there are fifties on the board who haven't been drafted in our league. Like, what am I doing here? Right. Like the great, the great thing about that is like, you can kind of guess where, where Rushman fits in, right. you know, based on, they gave him, did they give him a 60? I, I thought think? it was a 55 high, but I, I, I apologize to them if it's not true. Yeah. I, Cause I, you know, it seems like he's kind of like being slotted into their top 10, like right away, right. which, you know, that it, it makes it so much easier to value him if you know that you know you know pre-draft um and you can kind of if you're in a league where you could get that pick you know that you, you can kind of guess what you would what you would give you know mm-hmm. and that would be a lot you know so yeah and uh i mean jared i guess you can talk about the orioles development process and how rock solid that has been to date <laughs> You guys are getting very close to Jinx territory, so I'm glad you pulled it back. Uh, Adley Rushman, uh, best Oriole ever or best player ever? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I think you've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, I think pitchers that you wouldn't draft any from this year. Um, you know, I, I like for me, I kind of like Alec Manoa just because I can imagine a world where he is a number one starter but only in certain leagues I think right uh, you know uh, and somebody like Nick Lodolo, I would say appeals to me less even though he's a more complete prospect let's say um, just because you know I think like you I think we look for upside and volatility is kind of a plus for us right something um, are there any other uh, players later in the draft? So uh, I guess you mentioned Corbin Carroll as a player drafted later who kind of did make your board. Yeah, I I, I don't know much. Like I I'm just going off of rankings based right. basically. Um, but it, like from from the profiles I read, it sounded like that's kind of like a a profile that would would work in score sheet, like a center fielder, you know, who can hit low strikeouts, mm-hmm. you know, gets on base, um, good speed, you know, that, that seems like that's something that could work in score sheet. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I agree. It yeah, definitely no, felt like it fell a little yeah. bit. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I, Vaughn is I, – I, Vaughn, I can't really figure out Vaughn. Um, mm-hmm. I would take him second in an, in an AL, I think, um, you know, just based on, you know, kind of gambling that, like, the bat would, you know, really, really play. Um, right. You know, yeah, because Wit, I think you're waiting, you're waiting probably a year or two more, and, you know, you don't know what you're going to get, you know, in terms of batting average. You know, you're going to get some power. And it sounds like he's going to stick at shortstop, but you know, maybe in that time you could find another. Uh, like that's you could probably find that profile. I think you know somewhere mm-hmm. in the minors, but uh, right. You know, especially with uh, I feel like Latin American shortstops are kind of your specialty, uh, <laughs> and you know I think a lot of them have uh, profiles that appeal to you and are probably much less uh, coveted than... I, I yeah i think they're underranked because right. I, I i feel like you know someone coming out of latin america you know they they get some dsl stats but you know i i don't think anyone really knows how to translate that into into like minors or 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 what that would look in like in the majors mm-hmm. so you're kind of going off of maybe one or two analysts that maybe have seen them right yeah and and also the bonus, which is kind of like right, <laughs> yeah. It's a very strange way of like uh, evaluating a player based on how much money it took to get him on board. But you know, and it, and and even that's kind of like you know, like Adrian Rondon. You know, yes. he I think he was paid a lot, you know, in a bonus, but he hasn't done anything. And um, yeah. yeah, we sure had him on a team. <laughs> Uh, but Andrew Vaughn is really interesting to me because, you know, there is this, like, dichotomy between real-life value and score sheet value, which is probably different than real-life value and fantasy value, which can be, like, extremely skewed. But, you know, in score sheet, I feel like non-elite right-right first baseman is just not a profile that I love having on our team. And, you know, if that is at all a downside of Andrew Vaughn, then that's almost, I don't want to say unplayable, but like. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like, a, you know, we're the last couple of years, though, first baseman who can hit is actually like an under underappreciated asset. Like, mm-hmm. um, I guess like, there was the year where everyone hit. And then yeah. since then. But like, I mean, coming into this year, there was a list where like Evan White was above Jordan Alvarez and like. I, I just uh, that was one that kind of I, I couldn't understand. Like I don't understand. Like like Jordan Alvarez coming through the minors, he was probably one of the best fifth five or six hitters, you know, in the minors, you know, mm-hmm. uh, coming into this year. And you know, Evan White's, you know, his profile was like he's a really good fielder at first base, right? And and, and we don't know if he'll hit. So I, I kind of feel like the first baseman that can hit and it's going to hit a lot is, is something that gets undervalued by those lists. So, so your feeling is that like the difference between a first base prospect and Andrew Vaughn might be enough to make him the second best prospect on the board. Uh, yeah. I think like, yeah, I, I, I could, the, the way that Andrew Vaughn, if he, if he does turn out the way that he's going to hit is going to be, it, it seems like it's going to be a lot of walks, not a lot of strikeouts and a lot of power. Yeah. And, and that's going to work great in score sheet. So it reminds me of like the way I missed personally on like Chris Bryant because I thought like, you know, OK, good college hitter. And I think the position was kind of a question at that point. Right. And like maybe he's a little overrated, but good college hitter and like amazing college hitter is a pretty fast gap. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm curious about uh you know, I so I feel like the draft is also. You mentioned Bobby Witt. There's C.J. Abrams. Um, certainly, there were a number of other uh, high school shortstops. Uh, that this seems to be a font of like high school shortstops. Um, do you do you kind of wait and see on those guys? Yeah, I any like outside of that like top five. I th- I feel like you can wait and see. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and you can get a little better feel of what you're what you're getting, you know, if you kind of wait until the last draft, you know, to to pick those guys up because you'll get you can get some rookie league stats, maybe even like if someone gets placed in, you know, low A ball, you can get some stats there. Um, but it, it kind of gives you a, a feel of, you know, where they are and maybe maybe even their ETA, because like if the if if they get up to low A ball, you know that they're they're moving a little bit faster than normal. Right. And I guess that's where you can see a player, you know, again, like, let's say Tyler Freeman, who is starting to like hit the ball uh, at a level that above his draft status, let's say. Right. Um, at a young age. And, you know, I, so I think you might be earlier on some of the second rounders. Yeah, I usually, yeah, I, I kind of would wait until I, I when I, I have that sheet that ranks players based mm-hmm. on minor league, minor league results. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm going off of for the last, last draft, um, you know, who, who pops out. And, and by then it's usually like who is whoever in the rookie league or in a, you know, short season ball is, is really hitting, um, you know, ahead of their age. Right. I'm imagining, um, like Jaron Duran, who actually I, I think is not hitting particularly basically ahead of his age, but like these kind of pop-up guys who are coming out of the draft and like you see some skills right away. Yeah. Well, Jaron Duran, I, I, I didn't really know what to think until today when I think Baseball America put out an updated top 100 and they had him as like a, a 70 hit, a 60 power and a 70 run. Like it just like insane stats, you know, insane scouting grades. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I was kind of someone drafted uh, Jaron Duran ahead of me in uh, in the draft that we just did. Yes, yeah. yeah, I was was not happy about that one. <laughs> yeah, but like, okay, so if you put a couple seventies, like that'll play. Yeah, yeah, and even the like, you know, the seventy field is a really good sign for score sheet as well. Right. Um, even if in center, I feel like center field in particular takes a little while to adjust to the majors, uh, just because of some of the vicissitudes of the way score sheet measures defense. I don't, I, I'm not even sure that he will get to, I, like, that's a, that's a hard outfield to get to center field in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you that's a hard outfield that. not to end up on the Royals. To be True. Honest. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely see what you mean. Like yeah. if he does play, it'll probably be as a fourth outfielder or moving around, spotting in, and those kind of players end up with two point one two, two point one three defense, yeah. no matter how good they are. Yeah, and so like I mean that's the thing with center field prospects is that you're not going to get the the high center field rating right away. Right. So like like Christian Pace, you know you you know he's going to get a great center field rating eventually. So. Right. I think that's a situation where you just kind of have to sit and wait a little bit for the for the rating to come. Right. Where you eat it for yeah. a year. Um, and then then you get like a two point twenty or something like that that, you know, is going to blow everyone away. So right. unless they keep like a Kunian like, you know, sometimes they it takes a couple of years to move the center fielder to center field yeah. based on political reasons. <laughs> too. Uh, so, you know, I feel like sometimes that is a little uh, tricky with prospect, but yeah, like like you said, if it's if the fielding is there, it'll play at a certain point. Right. Um, so uh, I have monopolized uh, time. Any any questions from uh, our team based on some of what you heard? Hi, everyone. Uh, nothing to do with any sort of real life example that I can think of, but how do you stay engaged with one of your teams that it's in the tanking phase and they're on pace for 40 wins or something? How do you stay engaged with that? <laughs> Great uh, question. Squishy team. I, um, I, so I, I mean, I, I, the only way you're going to get better is through the supplementals. So, you know, usually I pay more attention to the supplementals in that league than any other league, you know, 
if I'm if I'm rebuilding, those are the those are the ones I'm kind of focused, you know, more on, you know, who am I going to get in the supplemental? Where in they where are they going to fit in? And you know, am I going to be able to keep these players, you know, next year? So, I actually, you know, for NorCal, I I think I spent a lot more time trying to figure out, you know, what I'm what I'm going to do there than than any of my other leagues. Yeah, and just to feel this one as well, like. I, I have to say, like we have, we're in five leagues this year, and the one team of ours that is, uh, I wouldn't say tanking. Obviously, the players are performing their hardest. I, I'm sure about their general manager's commitment to winning. Uh, tanking is such a loaded word, um, but that team is the one that I check immediately too. <laughs> like so much of it is, like like you said, just kind of the anticipation of, you know, okay, we have eight really volatile potential top-end prospects. Like, do we keep all of them? You know, how are they going to do? Isn't that uh, also because you want to figure out whether you can give me grief about having the team win games that we don't want them to win? <laughs> yes. Or is that just Jared? Because I know that's what Jared does. I don't even have to check the email for that Kings team. Jared just gives it away to me. Yeah, well... and Guilty as charged. I mean, it's, it's funny. I think it's... Do you guys do you guys find that like you go into this to the the score sheet for that team and like how did this team win a game you know oh yeah that's hundred oh, percent oh yeah I mean um, and there've been games that pitcher AAA won that we were like this you know there's all kinds of absurdities I, that team hasn't won very many games and they were all interesting yeah and then all of a sudden like there are moments where like uh, for one of our teams like we drafted a starting pitcher. And then all of a sudden, like, the team started winning games. Because <laughs> once every five days, it's like, oh, yeah, because we have a starting pitcher. <laughs> that helps. Um, but, no, I feel like, uh, like like you, I would say, um, being able to hit on the supplementals is just a real, uh, a real joy. Like, I, I felt like I... Uh, you know, the first supplemental we had, uh, our first pick was uh, Trent Thornton, which was good at the time. And with the last pick, uh, 48th pick of the first round, I took Nicky Lopez, which was like a Tom Cunningham sort special. Um, doesn't have enough power. Wasn't great. But, you know, is playing right at the major league level. May have trade value if a team has nobody in the shortstop. Um so, you know, I think being able to, like, uh, I guess position your team for the future and perhaps trade away players who are only somewhat valuable um, is part of the fun, I suppose. Yeah. Ian, that's like... Guys... Sorry. So, no, go ahead. I was going to say, that segues nicely with a question that I wanted to ask Tom is, you know, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, if you decide that you're going to rebuild, how do you approach that for this season? But I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit about uh, how that process evolves into actually contending at some point. You know, Ian made a joke earlier that your teams are sort of either winning 30 games or winning 110 games. And we've mostly talked about, you know, which prospects you're looking for and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's helpful to people. But I think the trick that uh, the differentiator really between the people that um, parlay that strategy into actual contenders is being able to make that transition and figuring out the right or at least uh, all of the possible feasible ways to do that. Um, so I'd be here, curious to hear you talk about that a little bit. So I, 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 I feel like managing the ETAs on the prospects, you know, you got it. That's something you really actively have to do. Um, like one of the trades I made this, this, this off season, like I traded Boba Shett for a, uh, Raphael Devers, um, and that was like purposefully to get another bat, so that in 2020 I would have someone with a lot of you know with with experience and who might have made the jump in 2019, mm-hmm. um, rather than Bo Bichette, who like maybe you know he's going to debut sometime this year, but you know I don't know you know whether he he'll be held down again next year you know before the deadline, so. Um, I feel I feel like you gotta kind of you want everyone to arrive at kind of around the same time, so so if you have some players you know that are kind of lagging behind, you might want to maybe think about trading them for 
for an asset that's going to going to help you, you know, now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like relates that like when do you say okay maybe it's time to cut bait on this player who is still young for his level, but you know the performance might not be there yet. I I, I guess during the protection phase is kind of when you have to feel that out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it and and by the time that you know by the time protection rolls around, you kind of have a better idea of. Um, you know where the prospect prospect ranks because you you've seen all the top 100s you know usually we have the you know for the mock draft we we haven't seen the top 100s you know we're kind of guessing there but um but by the time protection rolls around you know um where the prospect ranks and you kind of also know sometimes you know where they're going to be slotted in the minor league system so um you know you would know that they're going to double A or or maybe triple A, you know, based on sprint training results, you know, you could probably guess that. Um, so I, I kind of think cutting bait is, you know, is around the protection phase. And that that's when I would try to kind of sell someone, you know, I would try to sell my, you know, the extras around then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then try, I, I, my like try not to keep anybody who you could draft with that same pick that you gave it's, up to yes <laughs> which is always tricky because you know i feel like uh, if you're of this bent which i certainly am you know there is uh sometimes you fall in love with a prospect who you've been nursing since 18 right and you also on the converse of that like Make sure you protect the guy that you you know don't spend a higher pick than you know you would have if you like if you're in a standard score sheet league and you can protect a guy at twenty six don't you know don't let him go and then you know two weeks later um you know the depth charts change and you know he's he's you know moving up you know and you have to draft him with a twenty two that's right. not that's not a move you want to make either. So, right. I, I've done that and I've done feel too. horrified whenever yeah. I, that happens. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oops. Um, yeah. so, all right. Any other, any other questions? I do want to. That was the main one that I wanted to ask. Thanks, Tom. I think yeah. that was helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Darren, anything from you? No. Uh, okay. I'm good. Thank you. All right. Um, so we we don't ordinarily ask this of guests, but since you are an actual listener, which again, God bless, I'm only surprised. Best um, thing I saw this week. Best thing I yeah. saw this week. Oh yes, yes. Do you I have, have one. I, I do. Okay. So um, my son and I, we uh, my nine year old, um, his Cub Scout pack um, slept over in the outfield of uh, McCoy Stadium this this uh, this Saturday night. Um, so it, it just happened that uh, Williams Astadio got sent down to the minors on Friday. Um, so I got to see Williams Astadio um, um, on Saturday night, and uh, and everything off of his bat was a rocket. Uh, he, I don't know why he's in the minors right now. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, maybe because everybody on the Twins is slugging six fifty. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, that's amazing. Uh, McCoy Stadium, one of the few, uh, not a ton of minor league stadiums that we haven't been to at this point. Uh, and obviously, uh, it is going away at the end of this year, I think. Yeah, I, that's uh, another reason that we wanted to do the sleepover this year, because you know, it's they're moving. So Yeah, and we've been to Worcester, and I'll sleep in Pawtucket. <laughs> Take my chances there. <laughs> Sorry, Worcester. Uh, but no that sounds amazing and uh i hope um i hope williams estadio was everything you hoped for physically visually and more he actually um they do do you remember when when randall simon punched the uh i think it was like a president that was running around the track I, I believe it would be one of the racing sausages. Yes. So, so they had they had racing eyeballs that was what? like sponsored by like some local optometrist. So there was like a green eyeball, a red, uh, 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 like a green eyeball, a blue eyeball, and a brown eyeball that were running around the track, and it was a race. And uh, Williams Astadio came out and punched one of the one of the eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Uh, with that story, we become the number one Williams Astatio podcast on the internet. Uh, that is amazing. I, I just have... looked up raising eyeballs. Holy cow, this is frightening. <laughs> I have a thousand questions right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, no, this is what my nightmare looks like every night. Uh, that is really... Really disconcerting and good on Williams Astadia. I guess did he connect? I, I I don't think he did like a full Randall Simon to the eyeball, yeah. but like he did like the eyeball that he got into it with definitely lost. <laughs> do you, do you think it is because a giant ball was coming at him and he couldn't not swing? <laughs> <laughs> so so the one other thing I wanted like I was telling my son that like. Here's this guy. This I, I we want to I want to see this guy Williams as a deal because this guy, he swings at everything and he never strikes out and he never walks. So I'm, I'm in the middle of telling him this and Williams as a takes two pitches. <laughs> <laughs> and that is when yeah. So my son you're... was like, Dad, you're you're, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's the moment your son learns about the fallibility of adults. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, from the home crowd, uh, any, any best things you saw this week, man? Yeah. Do you want me to go next? Sorry. Yeah. I I, am I the home crowd? I don't even. Um, yeah. So the women's World Cup started recently, and um, I know Jared's the resident soccer buff, but I guess I'm the local uh women's sports advocate or whatever i don't know um so there was an interesting game where the u.s team scored a bunch of goals against thailand i believe it was uh and faced some yeah faced faced some criticism for the way that they handled uh the decision to score those goals i guess and also the way that they celebrated when they scored those goals um and so I guess I'm just sort of here to make sure that people that like sports are, uh, especially soccer fans, are tuning into the Women's World Cup and also, I guess, to advocate for uh, letting them play and making sure that you sort of check your assumptions about how you evaluate, um, you know, celebrations in general, but obviously across different types of people in terms of their gender or race or anything like that. Um And there's one thing that I read that really resonated with me about, I think it was Alex Morgan said that, you know, I think a lot of the criticism that they got was that it was a little bit rude or, you know, disrespectful to run the score up. And she was saying basically like it would have been rude to let up on them and not play the best that they could. Um, That would have been like, you know, underestimating or sort of disrespecting the opponent in a more fundamental way. And I think at least in terms of like the athletic endeavors that I uh, engage in anymore i think that's exactly how i feel too and so it was um i think compelling to see alex morgan present that perspective and i think that's something that carries over into baseball obviously with all the unwritten rules uh hogwash um probably number two on my best things would have been the recent stanley cup final win for the not Boston team. Uh, but number three would have been the Max Muncy line about Madison Bumgarner going to get the ball out of the bay. And <laughs> and I think, like, you know, that Max Muncy, Madison Bumgarner thing is a good example of something that a lot of people have said where, you know, the pitcher shouldn't be getting quite so upset about hitters being excited that they hit a home run. Uh, first of all, because the pitcher, you know, <laughs> suffering the, you know, having given up the home run in the first place. But... Um, it's also a sign of respect from the hitter that they'd be excited that they hit the home run off of the guy. So, uh, you know, take it as sort of a compliment that it's worth getting excited that he hit a home run off of you and, you know, do your best to win next time. Um, you know, I think it was like the, the baseball carry over there. So tying it, tying it back a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, right. I, I did, I did appreciate Madison Bumgarner, though, taking a stand for, like, crotchety young men <laughs> everywhere. That's this right. is who I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, let me play by, like, whining about uh, kids today. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, the the women's team makes sports more fun, and Max Muncy makes baseball more fun. So, yeah. pro fun. 
Yay. Yay fun. Um, Jared, I suspect we may have a similar best thing we saw this week. So maybe we'll add it. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, because I, I don't have much of a story. So maybe you have a, a good story from it. So the best thing I saw this week was you and also Austin, Texas, where we were together. Um, so the two of us went to a television festival, which is a thing that cannot be explained no matter how hard we try. Um, I have failed many a time, so I'll just say it is a a festival in Austin where a bunch of television is screened. There are a number of panels. I thought it was uh, really interesting and entertaining. I would recommend it to anyone who does not feel weirded out by that. Um, And I don't know if you have a good story, so I'll I'll let you end, because I don't have a story. I will say... uh, the highlight or the premiere show of the festival was uh, Veronica Mars, which is um, a show that is returning to Hulu. Um, and as mentioned a couple times, it is something that is uh, was tremendously important and formative to me in terms of the way it made me feel culturally. Um, I think the way in which it kind of also, I would say, opened up uh, space for... Uh, the way female lead characters, the way women can behave on television. And um, it was that line that you shared in from the interview. Oh, uh, I I don't. Yeah. I didn't want to misquote it. That, (laughs) um, you know, the, the PG version, which is the one I will, I will use is that um, she didn't have superpowers the way like Buffy did that uh, she couldn't, um, you know, kill vampires or uh, she wasn't like a spy uh, and her superpower was uh, that she could t- have the confidence to tell men to flip off. So, yeah. I I think that was a real uh, it was a real wonder and it was great to see a bunch of people who were inspired by that kind of behavior and uh, who like a good mystery story once in a while. So, I was delighted by that. Uh, Jared, uh, do you have any takeaways? I yeah, I have a story. I don't know if you're gonna like it though. So uh, are, are you, you can, sure? <laughs> you can. I, I would like to end point. the podcast here. <laughs> um, uh, but first, I'll say if if uh, Williams asked you to punch an eyeball, he probably just cured it of astigmatism. Um, in response to Ben, uh, you guys will not be surprised to learn that I am not winning in my women's World Cup pool at work. Uh, and Ben, if you, I'm sure you have already, but if you haven't read about it, like the labor issue stuff surrounding the women's team and what they're doing. It's kind of fascinating. So you should read up on that. Um, but about the so, soccer team specifically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like what they did to get their like, uh, licensing rights back and what they're doing with those. It's cool. Oh, yeah. I'll check it out. Um, so the, the best thing that I saw in text, well, along with the, the panels that we went to a lot of there are a lot of funny people those are probably actually the best thing but um was the uh destruction of one of ian's closest friendships over this podcast <laughs> what and so again ian stop me at any time if you yeah. i'm no longer comfortable with this i but, mean i uh, wasn't before the story started so we'll just let it run <laughs> well i think i mean there's no details now so we can yeah we can stop but uh we we um we went to Austin with one of Ian's friends um, who in her mind was a, a close friend of Ian. Um, and we were waiting in line uh, before one of the panels. Um, and she remarked on the fact that it seemed like uh, everyone at this festival had their own podcast, except for the three of us. Uh, at which point she turned to me because I just met her a few days ago and she's like, well, well, Jared, you don't, you don't have a podcast, do you? And so I was like, well, maybe, maybe you should talk with Ian about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And so, yeah, I watched uh, what it seemed to be a deep and meaningful friendship implode right in front of me. <laughs> and yes, the horror and shame of others is the best thing we saw this week. Uh, <laughs> In fairness to myself, which is not very far, um, you know, it is, I, I, I kind of like a church and state relationship with this, you know? I, I like having a baseball world and a real world, and uh, the more they cross over, the 
uh, you know, it is strange. I, I don't want to talk about my real life on here. So, <laughs> either. Are you saying it's your no. own fault that your friends don't know you have a podcast because you don't tell them? Yeah. Yeah, that would be the big takeaway. And that doesn't I surprise am me already mortified. So... <laughs> Do you think she's listening to this episode and Jared telling this story right now? Oh, God, There's I hope not. No it's... way she made it an hour into this <laughs> podcast. Do I have to tell my family now? All right, we'll, we'll talk about this later. Until then, uh, Tom, I want to thank you for, especially yes. saying for this part, which God knows why. <laughs> I know who your next guest has to be now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a fair button. I appreciate that. Um, the thing is that would probably end up being an all musical podcast and I have learned we can't do this <laughs> can't imagine so, why well, yeah um, but uh, Tom, thank you so much it was a delight having you hopefully uh, our listeners uh, found the same um, and I guess uh, the best way to follow you is to follow your uh, decision making and then the mock draft in the offseason. Is that fair? Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So uh, on behalf of Tom and on behalf of Ben Murphy and Jared Weiss, I'm Ian Lefkowitz. Thanks again and have a great day.